8, verses 22 to 39. So if you turn to Luke chapter 8, please. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was getting swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. Storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house and had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone to him. And when they begged Jesus repeatedly not, not to order them to go into the abyss, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, dressed and in his right mind, and they were all afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus said to him, um, sending him away, saying, Return home and tell how much um, God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, we may be small in number, but this beats what we had to do last year where you know, there was one of us in front of a camera over at Pullenvale. That was rather boring. This way, there's real people here. So well done for making it. And for those who are at home, hopefully the stream holds up. So let's pray as we look at this part of the Bible. Heavenly Father, thanks that we can look at your word this morning together. Lord, we just ask that as we look at Luke's gospel, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, please grow our trust in Jesus, we pray. In his name, amen. Becoming a Christian and living as a Christian, it's not always easy to do because it's kind of like our brains get in the way, our minds get in the way. But you need your brain involved, you need your mind involved because that's how trust works. You trust someone as you get to know them, as you get to check the facts out. Trust, it involves our minds, it works like that. 
At the start of today's reading, you heard about the disciples with Jesus in the boat. And they've just seen Jesus calm a storm. And their natural response to seeing Jesus' amazing power over nature. I mean, just imagine it for half a second. This massive storm and Jesus rebuking and bang, it all stills. Their natural response to that amazing miracle isn't to say, wow, Jesus, you are amazing and you're our friend. We are so blessed. Nothing can go wrong for us. This is amazing. We'll follow you wherever. Their response isn't like that at all. No, their brains get in the way. Look at verse 25. It's kind of like they're stunned with fear and amazement. In their minds, they're going, who is this man? How does he do that? What happened here? And then Jesus, he says to them, where's your faith? That's like saying, come on, just trust me. Just trust me. See, following Jesus, it's not necessarily easy because our minds, our brains get in the way. But we need our minds involved because that's how trust works. And that's kind of like what you see as you come to Luke's gospel. So if you go back to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, where Luke introduces what he's writing, you see it there. He's writing for Theophilus, you see in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. He's writing so that Theophilus will know the certainty of what he's been taught, <clears throat> so that like, his mind will catch up, so that he'll know for sure who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah. And Luke says also that he's investigated everything. He's checked out the eyewitnesses. He's writing an orderly account, because that's what your mind needs. That's what your brain needs to be able to believe, to be able to trust. Luke wants Theophilus to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the, the fulfilment of every Old Testament prophecy. You get that by the time you get to the end of Luke in chapter 24. Luke wants Theophilus to know that Jesus is the one who deals with sin and death, brings forgiveness. And here we are, reading along with Theophilus, letting our minds understand how this all works. But becoming a Christian, it's not always easy because it involves trust. It involves trusting in Jesus and you've got to believe his words. And so you saw last week that parable of the soils, the four soils, and there's Jesus' encouragement to be good listeners, to listen well. Um, for some, what they hear, what they read in Luke's gospel, it's like water off a duck's back. It doesn't even engage their mind at all. For others... What they read in Luke's gospel, well, it sounds interesting, but it doesn't really grip, doesn't really take hold. For others, they like what they hear, it takes hold, they get excited about Luke's gospel and about Jesus, but continuing to trust just gets harder as trouble comes and so on. And then you've got the fourth kind of soil, the person who believes what they hear and continues to put it into practice no matter what happens and they're the ones that bear fruit. In the end, it's God who is the one who gives the ears to hear. So in 8 verse 8, he says, if you have ears to hear, hear. In the end, it's God that gives that ability for us to hear and to believe. And so here we are in today's passage. It's like Luke's showing us the disciples coming to terms with all this, coming to terms with who Jesus is, letting their brains catch up with what they know about Jesus, it's like Luke's showing us the disciples struggling to learn to trust in Jesus. And so Luke shows us four miracles which show Jesus' power over nature and then his power over demons, his power over sickness and his power over death. The kind of things which should give us confidence 
should give confidence to anyone who chooses to follow Jesus. If you're following Jesus, look at what he can do. Look at how powerful he is. The kind of stuff, though, which is pretty hard to accept. And so instead, people in this passage become scared, become frightened. And as we think about all this, you've got the disciples in the boat in mind. As we think about all this, we're thinking, do you believe? Do we believe? Will we follow Jesus and keep following him? So these miracles, they're signs of the kingdom of God, what it's like to be in the kingdom of God, what it's like to have Jesus as the king. You see what he can do. It gives you this taste of what the kingdom of God is like. One of the tricks with the way we've been going through Luke's gospel um, is we've been going nice and slow, little bit by little bit. But as you do that, you kind of lose the context, you lose the flow, you lose the track of where we've been. We're about to look at these four miracles which Jesus did, but keep in mind that this all comes in the context of chapter 8, verse 1, where we read, After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus is doing. He's getting around, preaching the kingdom of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Proclaiming the kingdom of God is his priority right up until the end of chapter 9 when he then sets his face to Jerusalem where he knows he will suffer as the Messiah. Proclaiming the kingdom of God at this point is his priority. Back in chapter 4, you saw that. Back in chapter 4, he'd done these miracles and this crowd gathered around him. They wanted him to stick around. So in 4 verse 42, they're trying to stop Jesus leaving them. But in 4 verse 43, we, we read, I, Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news to, of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. There's his priority here in 8 verse 1. He's doing what he's doing. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And along the way, he does these miracles. The first miracle um, was with the disciples in the boat in verses 22 to 25. Verse 23, the boat, it's being swamped. They're in danger and Jesus is asleep. Verse 24, the disciples, they woke Jesus. They say, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And Jesus shows that he is Master, Master over nature. And he just rebukes, speaks to the winds and the waves and they just calm and the way he does that you've got that word rebuke it makes you think of chapter four the miracles he did in chapter four where he rebuked a spirit and out it came he rebuked a fever and it left simon's mother jesus just has to speak and here nature obeys he restores order in nature just by speaking he has the power of god for us as we're reading well we've seen this all we've got it in context it's not so hard for us to go oh Luke's showing us that Jesus is God. But that's not where the disciples are up to. You're thinking, why has Luke included this account? Well, maybe because of verse 25. Maybe that's why we've got this account here where Jesus says, where is your faith? It's like him asking, can you trust me? I think Luke's included this so that it makes us think about what it's like to trust, to think about it through the eyes of the disciples. In the third miracle that we'll come to, Luke will show us a woman who can trust Jesus, but we'll come to that. Luke's already shown us what faith looks like a couple of chapters ago when we were in chapter 7. Remember, there was the faith of the centurion. Remember, Jesus was marveling at that man in 7 verse 9 and said, I've not found such great faith in Israel. Luke's already let us think about what faith is like. Um, back in the boat, though, we see the disciples, the people who are closest to Jesus, struggling to come to terms with who Jesus is. 
their brains are stuck with the idea that how can this man, how can this man we know have the power of God? They're struggling with trust. Um, in verse 25, they saw what happened and they say, who is this? And in the next miracle, Luke shows us a man who declares who Jesus is. <clears throat> By telling us about the first miracle, Luke gets us thinking about those two things, though. How faith works, firstly, and who Jesus is, secondly. And so as you come to the next miracle, you've got those two things in the back of your mind. How does faith work and who is Jesus? Um, verse 27, you come to the second miracle. This is a miracle that Jesus did on the other side of the lake in Gentile territory. If you're not convinced that it's Gentile territory, they're farming pigs. That's a bit of a giveaway. Verse 27 um, Jesus gets off the, boat, off the boat and he meets a demon-possessed man. And this isn't your average demon-possessed man. This guy has lots of demons in him. It, these demons, they've made him less than human. He's been driven out of town. He's on the outskirts among the tombs. He hasn't worn clothes or lived in a house, it says. In verse 29, people have tried binding him to control him and he's broken all those. He's been driven by his demons into solitary places. This man's life, it's a bit of a storm, isn't it? It's a bit of a scary ride. Um, we've read seven and a half chapters of Luke to this point, and you kind of know Jesus is going to help this man. He's going to restore order in this man's life, just like he restored calm in the storm. But first, Luke lets this man answer the disciples' question. The disciples are saying, who is this man? Verse 28, the demon-possessed man says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high? That's who Jesus is, the son of God. We've seen this already back in chapter 4. The demons already were declaring who Jesus is and Jesus would say, no, no, don't tell, don't tell. <clears throat> but there it is, the disciples question, who is this man? And the demon-possessed man saying, this is the son of God. And as the son of God, Jesus uses his power to restore this Gentile man. Um, we've read seven and a half chapters of Luke's gospel. We've seen him cast out demons, but this one's different. Because this time, it, it's like he, Jesus appears to listen to the demons who plead with him not to throw them into the abyss, not to send them into the abyss. Instead, he lets them go into pigs. And I'm scratching my head thinking, this is rather strange. But maybe, maybe Jesus let that happen for no other reason than verse 34. Because in verse 34, as soon as the owners of the pigs saw what happened, they ran around and told everyone, and word was out. And maybe that's why these, these things happen that way. This is like a very visible demonstration that something's happened here. And then they come out of town, out of the town, they see the man, and they see, yes, yeah, something amazing has happened. This man is restored. So the restoring of the man and the destruction of the pigs, um, they place these people in a similar position to the disciples on the boat. The disciples on the boat see Jesus' amazing power and they're scared. These people, they see Jesus' amazing power and look at what happens. They're, they're scared too. It's not this kind of respect fear of Jesus. It's a frightened, scared fear. So in verse 37 you read, all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. And so Jesus goes. The only person who doesn't um, want Jesus to go is the man who's been restored. And he begs to go with Jesus, but Jesus leaves that man in that area to keep proclaiming the kingdom of God, if you think about it. So you look in verse 39, returning home. No, he says to, to, to the man, return home. Tell how much God has done for you. 
So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. There's the restored man. He's been given his life back. Jesus has calmed his storm for sure. But notice Jesus tells him to go and tell everyone what God has done. And he goes and tells everyone what Jesus has done. Remember the disciples' question, who is this man? Luke's showing us. He's the son of God. In fact, he is God. Jesus is God. So Luke's shown us two miracles. These miracles cause, us, uh, cause people to fear, to be frightened, as they struggle to come to terms with the fact that actually Jesus is God. The disciples, they can't put the things together. This man seems to. Remember Jesus told his disciples to have more faith? Well, the next two miracles, they make you think about faith. So we come to the third of the four miracles, and the account of these two miracles kind of gets stuck together because he starts talking about the fourth miracle, and then, it, well, you'll see what happens. So Jesus leaves um, the Gentile region where people were frightened of him, and he comes back to the other side of the lake where people are familiar with him. They expected him in verse 40. In verse 41, a man, a synagogue ruler named Jairus comes to Jesus, pleads with Jesus to come home to his home because his 12-year-old daughter is dying. And so while Jesus is on his way to Jairus' home, along comes this woman who's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. What's Luke doing here? There's layers to this. Same length of time that Jairus' daughter has grown, 12 years. Instead of asking Jesus to come and see her, she quietly, you know, probably snuck around behind him, I'd imagine, and touches his cloak. And the amazing thing is, she's immediately healed. And that's not the experience that most people would have had. It's not, I mean, Jesus would have had lots of people bump into him, but the, the, the verses that follow show this is not normal for a healing like that to, ha that to happen. So in verse 45, Jesus stops and asks, who touched me? I think he knows who did. I think he knows full well. Um, Peter responds, come off it. Loads of people. Jesus pushes a little bit further. It would appear that Jesus wants this woman to just make it public, to let it be known, to declare what's happened, to, to own up to having been healed, to make it clear that she has been restored, to make it perhaps as clear as some pigs wandering down a cliff into some water. That clear. Jesus doesn't give the woman a hard time. In verse 48 he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. That's huge if you think about this. This is a woman who's been subject to bleeding. Her condition would have meant she was cut off from access to the temple like anyone with a wound. This woman... Um, it's a bit like the, the demon-possessed man. She would have been pushed to the, to the side, excluded, driven to the, to, the, to the boundaries. Now that she's healed, she's restored. This is an amazing event. Verse 48, Jesus says, Your faith has healed you. The fact that you trusted that I could help you has healed you. The simple fact that she trusted Jesus could help her means she's been healed. So remember Jesus' question to the disciples in the boat, Where's your faith? Well, here's Luke giving us an example of what faith might look like. It's not complicated. But before you can dwell too much on thinking about her faith, Luke says in verse 49, while, she, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And look at what Jesus says. Verse 50, he overhears this and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. We've seen people be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. 
Just believe. Just trust. Just, just like this woman. Just trust. Um, then Luke tells us in verses 51 to 56 that <clears throat> Jesus continued on to Jairus' home and restored life to the dead girl. Um, we've seen already that there's these layers to this account. There's little bits that you kind of you keep thinking about as you continue to read on through. There's another one here in verse 56 where Jesus orders the girl's parents not to tell anyone, which is what you saw happen back in chapter 4, you know, don't tell who I am kind of thing. But there's this riddle happening because the man in the Gerasenes was told to go and tell people. But leave that riddle for another time. Let's keep focusing in on the taste of the kingdom of God that we have here. You see what Jesus can do. You see his power and it gives you a taste of what the kingdom of God will be like. Back in chapter 7, John the Baptist sent his disciples to say to Jesus, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus' response in 7 verse 22 was to say, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. It's like, go back and show, tell what's been happening. Tell the miracles. You, know, you join the dots, you're thinking, that will help John believe that I am the one. And verse 23 of chapter 7, he goes, Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. Another encouragement to keep trusting. John asks if Jesus is the one who comes after him. And Jesus says, yes, look what's happening. Look at the signs. And believe, and it feels like here in chapter 8, Luke's showing us more signs. The kingdom of God is arriving. This is what God's king is like. Back in chapter 4, when Jesus preached in the synagogue in Nazareth, he read from Isaiah and said the prophecy was being fulfilled among them. So in chapter 4, verse 18, he read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And in the rest of chapter 4, Luke shows us Jesus doing miracles that release the captives. That It's like these are signs of what Jesus is doing, of what his kingdom is like. I think Luke wants Theophilus and us to see that Jesus' miracles show that he is who he claims to be. And in today's passage, if you read it that way, if these miracles give you a taste of the kingdom of God then what we're seeing is we're seeing, as you look across the chapter, you're seeing four miracles. You're seeing Jesus restore order in nature. You see Jesus restore an exiled Gentile. You see him restore an excluded woman. You see him restore life in a place of death. And you're thinking, following Jesus, yeah, it's not that easy because this stuff is hard to come to terms with, but you need this to build your trust. You look at this chapter and you see what Jesus can do and you get this picture of what God's kingdom is like. Luke records these miracles to give us a taste of what it's like to have Jesus as king. He can do all this and more. Over nine chapters, Luke turns this, these themes over and around until eventually you see at the end of chapter nine, Peter go, I get it, you're the Messiah. And then Luke shows us how Jesus set his face to Jerusalem where the Messiah will suffer in order to deal with sin and death, to make it possible for sinners to be restored, so that Jesus, the King, who restores people, can restore even sinners to God, making it possible for Jesus to deal with the storm of sin <clears throat> in the way that only God can. For us, though, as we read Luke chapter 8, you've got the question from last week ringing in your ears. 8 verse 8, do we have ears to hear? 
The disciples, you've seen them in the boat struggling. They got closer to Jesus than anyone and they found themselves scared as they tried to come to terms with the fact that this man they knew is actually God. The right response to Jesus, though, is to respect him as God and to trust that he has everything under control and to want to follow him. And as we understand who Jesus is, it makes it that much easier to trust. So let's pray that that's what we'd be doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us your word. Thank you for the way that Luke has recorded these things for us. Father, we pray that as we think about them, we pray that you would grow our trust in the fact that Jesus is God, that he has dealt with sin. Lord, we pray for each of us here. We pray that you would be at work in our hearts and helping us to trust in Jesus, to trust him with everything. Not to be frightened, but to trust him with our lives and to live for him in everything. Lord, we do pray that Jesus would return that we would see his kingdom in all its glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.